Hello, everyone. Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. Today is March 15th. We've got some good tournament results here from the last week or so. Uh, the biggest one would be Siming Chen uh, won the Amway Cup. This is her second year in a row winning it. Now, Siming, you'll recall, was our player of the year last year. And with her win in this event, she moves to the top of the money list. Not the ladies' money list, the total money list. That means she has won more than Bustamante won with everything he did at Derby. That's pretty good for mid-March. Like I mentioned, this was her second win in a row. Now, Allison Fisher is the only other player who has won the Amway Cup uh, multiple years, and she won it back-to-back twice. So, Seeming has still got a little ways to go, but I'm sure she's more than up to the challenge. In other tournament news, from Indonesia, Carlo Biato won the, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Jogja Open. Uh, he beat Jundel Maison in the finals. It was kind of a Filipino final three uh, with a, a player that I'm not familiar with finishing in third, tied with Ricky Yang. And the other big event looks to be the Hill Hill Nine Ball Open in Athens, Greece. That had just about every top European player you could think of in the field. Uh, Ralph Suquet won, but other players in the field included uh, Fedor Gorst, who took second, Joshua Filler, uh, Economopoulos, Nils Fayan, Eklant Kachi. So all the big guns were there. Ralph won 2,200 euros, which is a little bit over $2,700 in U.S. dollars. Uh, and it was also a Moscone Cup event, so that'll help him in his quest for yet another Moscone Cup team on, or a member on Team Europe. And speaking of Team Europe, Marcus Shamat will be coming back for his third year in a row. Uh, we've already opened up conversations with Marcus to try to get him on the show uh, we got a couple interesting interviews lined up already, but we'll be talking to Marcus here pretty quickly. So without any further ado, let's get on to the interview for this week. I uh, had a chance to talk to Ted Lerner from the Philippines. As usually happens with Ted, we started on one topic and then we kind of meandered from topic to topic. But personally, I think it's all interesting. I'll leave it up to you to decide. Here you go. Here's my conversation with Ted Lerner. All right. I'm joined now by Ted Lerner all the way from the Philippines. Ted, how you doing? I'm doing great. Mike just got back from uh, the Whirlpool Masters in Gibraltar via London. So uh, it was a long journey, but well worth it. Nils won that one. That's, you know, Nils is a great player. There's no question. But final four, when you've got Shane and Jason, I was expecting the winner of that match to win the whole thing. Well, so was uh, a lot of people. I had picked uh, Jason from the very beginning because, uh, you know, he came uh, one rack short last year against David Alcady. And when he showed up in Gibraltar this year, he told me that, well, he kind of looked more fit than I recall. And he said, yeah, I've been going to the gym every day. And then he told me that he took out his uh, regular, you know, nine foot american pool table out of his uh, basement in connecticut where he lives now and he installed a chinese eight ball table and he spent the last 30 days practicing racks of nine ball on a chinese eight ball table and i was like you're kidding i mean he's working he's you know jason's already a can be a you know an amazing player and potter of the balls and here he is playing on pockets 
you know, shaped like snooker pockets, very difficult, 3.8 inches, and, and he's been practicing nine ball racks. I said, oh, there's no nobody's going to beat him. But as it turns out, you know, Jason's game can sometimes be a little bit loose, you know, and that's what makes him so exciting. So I think that cost him in the match against Shane in the semifinals. Wasn't, and I should know this, but what was what happened at the end there with Alcady last year? There was something like Jason missed a shot he shouldn't have missed, or something like that. Uh yeah, he. I believe it was um, uh, in the uh, it was seven six. I believe Shaw was uh, leading, and then he was on the hill to win it, and he missed. Uh, I believe I don't remember which ball, but he missed a very makeable shot, and then Alcady came back to win two if I recall correctly. So he was pretty disappointed uh, in that. But, uh, I mean, Shane Shane was looking really good uh, in that match. He was uh, – and, and Shaw, you know, again, I, you, you can't emphasize it enough. He's, he's just fast and loose. And like at the U.S. Open, when he plays on with that style, it's breathtaking. But occasionally, you know, mistakes can creep in. Any of these short races to eight, you just can't make many mistakes. Shane loves, you know, that Whirlpool Masters. He's won it twice. First guy to ever win it twice in a row. And uh, so you had Shane and Niels in the final. And boy, I tell you, Niels, what a story. What a story. He hadn't really played in six months because he had a pretty bad case of tennis elbow. Ooh. And he was, you know, if you follow him on Facebook, he kind of kept a diary of this. And you could sense over the months that he was very frustrated and who wouldn't be? He's been playing at the top of the sport for 20 years, you know, and he had such a great year in uh, 2013 and 2014 and, you know, winning the Whirlpool Masters in 13 and then Moscone Cup and got another MVP there and then went on to win the World Nine Ball in 2014. And then he has this case of tennis elbow. He was out of the Moscone Cup. Couldn't seem to find a uh, cure for it. Uh, the physio gave him some a routine to you know do some weight training with the arm. And by the way, this was his cueing arm, the right arm. And he uh, just it didn't work. He he took a cortisone shot. Uh, that didn't that masked the pain. He tried to enter some tournaments over a few weeks with without the pain because of the cortisone. And then uh, he didn't have good results, and the pain came back. So he actually said about two to three weeks before the Masters, he had this cell phone in his hand and he was going to text Luke Riches at Matchroom Sport that he couldn't make it. But at the same time, the, he had found a new physio in Holland and he got a new routine and he started seeing some results. So he never sent that text message. Lucky for him. Luckiest text he never sent. Okay. <laughs> and... He over the about a week or ten days, he noticed that there was some improvement because of this new routine the physio was giving him, and he wasn't taking the cortisone this time, and he started to get pain free, a little bit of pain he said after breaking, but not enough to stop him. And then he was able to play for a few hours, and so when he came to uh, Gibraltar, he played his first match against Raj Hundal, who's pretty much uh, not been playing for the last few years. He's a uh, He's even, I wouldn't even call him a part-time player these days, Raj. But that being said, Niels looked really good in that match, and I did the commentary for that match, and I was commenting about 
how impressive he looked. And it seemed like he was playing without expectation, without a care in the world. Now, we've all, you know, that's the big conundrum in life, isn't it? Stop caring so much happens in so many endeavors, right? You know, you, you, whatever you do, you're really engrossed in it. And when you seem to care too much and get too into it, you, you run into problems, even mentally, even physically. But uh, when you sort of take that break from the game, uh, you come back fresh and you don't really expect to play well. And this is exactly what he was experiencing. And you could see it, that he was didn't have any expectations. He didn't really care one way or the other because he didn't expect to play well. And, and lo and behold, he played amazing. And, I mean, he tore through an amazing lineup to win the title. Well, yeah, I mean, Raj, sure, you know, uh, okay, he he probably wasn't a favorite against Nils, but Orcoyo? Oh, that was a great match. Orcoyo, uh, I thought he would win the whole thing. He played an amazing uh, first-round match uh, in which he just drubbed Chris Melling. And Melling came in in pretty good form. Melling was a last-minute replacement for Wu Cha Ching. I mean, it was very difficult to get to Gibraltar, I must say this. It's uh, located at the you know the mouth of the Mediterranean, uh, just below Spain. And we had, you, it, that was, there was a really bad uh, winter storm in Europe. And uh, so Wu Cha Ching couldn't make it. Uh, Bustamante didn't make it. That's how boys got in, Carl Boys. And here's another one, boys, last-minute replacement, didn't expect to do well, but, you know, a guy who loves to play in the matchroom events and just played without a care in the world, and he also did well, got to the semifinals. But, yeah, Orculio against uh, Bayern in the second round, that would have been the quarterfinals. I think Orculio was up 6-5, to five, race to 8, winner breaks, had an open table, shot on the 1, and missed the 1 for some reason, and Neil steps up and runs three straight racks. That's clutch. Now, you were talking about uh, boys. He made a big comeback against Ralph, didn't he? Oh, yeah. He was down 7-2 in a race to eight. And I also commentated on that match. And he had the look on his face of, you know, when he was down five racks that, you know, it, it, he was dead and buried. But lo and behold, he, he wasn't. And he started to come back. And uh, at 7-4, the most amazing thing happened. He was at the table and he played a shot and he lost control of the cue ball and it was heading straight for the top right-hand corner pocket. I distinctly remember it. It was streaking down the table along the rail. Nothing was going to stop it. And I swear at the last second, for some reason, it veered off course and it didn't scratch. And we couldn't believe it. I mean, because the table was level uh, maybe it was some chalk dust or something or maybe the pool god said you know what this is going to be a miracle comeback i don't know you know it's one of these things in pool you just don't have an explanation for nobody else did and he ended up winning the rack making it seven five and won it eight seven in an, um, a miracle comeback best match of the tournament it sounds like it um yeah. was he just running racks or did ralph let him in well, it was a combination of both uh, that just that had, you know, it just seemed like the pool gods conspired against Ralph. So it wasn't 
it wasn't like running one rack after the other where he kept him in his chair. Uh, I think he did win two to make it 7-4. But after that, it was just good, smart play by uh, Boys. And he got a little lucky in the last rack that he had good position on the balls, but he made some nervy shots. They both had chances in the last rack, and, and Carl took it home. Yeah, I was I was surprised at how well Boys did. And, you know, honestly, I, I say I was surprised that Niels won it, but as I've said before, you can lose a lot of money betting against somebody like that. Oh, yeah, but certainly Niels was not the betting favorite coming in based upon the fact that he really hadn't played in six months and he's coming off this injury. But he seemed to be so relaxed and just so happy to be there that, you know, he's already got the skills, obviously. And uh, so he it all came together. And it's just one of those things that, um, you know, he will be – it's like so – happy to have just been playing that you know when you play relaxed and you're freewheeling it sort of that you can get in that zone it's funny how that works like again going back to that when you care too much sometimes and we see this all the time with pool players they try so hard they practice so hard and it doesn't get them the results but when they somehow have a reason to take a, a break from the game sometimes they come back and play relaxed doesn't always happen but you know, and a lot of people will recognize that in their own lives. I think, you know, when you even, you know, myself as a journalist and writing a story, you know, for AZ Billiards magazine, you know, these, these pool tour stories can get complicated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you know, you got guys coming from the left side of the, the bracket and the right side. You're dealing with 64 players, 128. Where do you start? But sometimes, you know, you're in the middle of three, four hours into it and you take a break and, uh, you know, go cook something in the kitchen, you know, have a drink, come back. And all of a sudden it makes sense to you. You know, you're relaxed, you're fresh. So I, and that's what Neil's played like. Best thing that ever happened to him, I think, was to get injured, if that makes any sense. <laughs> he might not agree with that. Well, I think I think now he does. I never saw Neil's fine get emotional. He's a very straightforward, tough guy. Nice as can be, obviously. Everyone, you know, knows Neil's as being one of one of the good guys in pool. But he's very straightforward guy. I think uh, he always keeps a uh, strong demeanor. But he broke down in tears afterwards during wow. the interview on TV. He was uh, very emotional. And you can tell that he probably thought up to even just a few weeks ago, he might never reach the heights that he has reached in his career. That's got to be pretty traumatic for a player of Niels Fine's stature. And he's not that old. No, he's uh, getting towards, uh, let's see, it was 39, I believe, Nils. Oh, yeah, he's got a lot of years in front of him. I mean, as a professional player. Oh, yeah. And, and now, I mean, sky's the limit. You mentioned his interview, so, and I have to be honest, I haven't watched the interview I'm going to ask you about, but there was some kind of controversy with an Earl interview? Well, there's... There's always a controversy with Earl. Uh, he, he's a walking controversy, is he not? Um, he, yeah, he lost to Darren, six, eight to six. He was up six to two, Darren Appleton, of course. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Earl was playing amazing, uh, fast. You know, when Earl plays great, you know, he is something to watch. Uh, but... He made he allowed Darren back in the match. Darren was scratching and clawing. 
as he always does, even when he's not playing well. I mean, he was not playing well. He missed an easy shot on the two ball, I remember, in the opening rack, and uh, uh, Earl made him pay. Won three, you know, was up 3 0, and then got it to 6 2. Darren clawing back. And then I think it was at 6 4 when Earl scratched on the five ball. And then at 6 6, he scratched on the two ball. So you can only say that he just fell apart. You know, he basically can't say. Now, if, you, if I told that to Earl, hey, Earl, you fell apart, he would say, <laughs> well, well, you don't like me. You've never liked me. You know, which, you know, he just makes up. He sees things, you know, Earl just sees things. And I mean, that's not absolutely not true. So uh, he lost the match eight, six. And afterwards, the uh, Laura Woods, who's the uh, presenter for Sky Sports, was interviewing him. And she was doing a good job of interviewing him. And he basically said that Darren isn't that good a player. He just got lucky. Well, that's a joke. Right. That's ridiculous to say that. And then. He says, well, you guys all think I'm nuts, don't you? Well, I don't know. We didn't say that. He said it. But um, he he just gets in his own head, Earl, and, and just uh, thinks that everybody's out to get him, uh, which isn't the case. Uh, but uh, he did play well, but he fell apart at the end. I mean, I'm just calling it as I see it. When you scratch twice late in the match against Darren Appleton, I don't think you can expect to win. No, not at all. Um, you know, Darren's not a multi-time U.S. Open champion and <laughs> world champion because he got lucky. Exactly. So uh, if you have Earl on in your show and he says something about Ted Lerner, uh, <laughs> just know that, listen, I spent two hours with Earl the day before the uh, Masters began. I saw him on the streets of Gibraltar uh, and... I went up to him, Earl, how you doing? And uh, we ended up at lunch. He did say something about how old I looked, which I thought was not a nice thing to say, <laughs> you know. But uh, that that's Earl, right? Anyway, right. we went to have a late lunch, and I sat and listened to him uh, for two hours. And I thought, you know, being sort of like the guy who would listen to him and, you know, that he would like me. But he ended up, uh, you know, maybe saying some not so nice things about me as the tournament went on, but because, you know, he thinks I don't like him because I said that he collapsed against Darren, but that's what he did. I can't make that up that he scratched two times late in the match. No. And, and you shouldn't have to, I mean, you know, one guy wins, one guy loses. There's not a whole lot of ways around some things, you know, you can't say they both brought their a game and one squeaked by the other. Every time. Well, that's right. And you, I mean, to say that Darren Appleton uh, is a lucky, got lucky and isn't <laughs> that good a player is, is just a complete joke. And I think sometimes, you know, Earl has a very forceful personality that people tend to uh, indulge him when he talks, which I did when I told you I had lunch with him in Gibraltar. And I did indulge him. And I thought that that would be good enough to, uh, you know, win him over. But Sometimes you just have to call people out. I don't I don't care if he is I don't know. That's just the way he is. You got to call him out. Darren Appleton is more than, you know, just a lucky player. And oh, to yeah. say that he's not that good. I mean, he is one of the greatest players ever. There's no doubt about it. Just like Earl is one of the greatest players ever. Sure. There's no doubt about it. 
But as a journalist, Mike, you know, we have to call it as we see it. Right. And, and you know, you and I have talked in the past about journalism and the stories that you write. And, you know, I, I remember complimenting you then that I do a lot of, you know, regional tour stories that are, you know, there's only so many different ways you can say that player A won the tournament and he did this, he did that. Your stories are are they're a different breed. I mean, they're they're more in depth. You're actually telling a story and you make it interesting beyond just this was the score and this was the next match. I mean, you always find an angle which I I love to read. Oh, well, thanks and I really appreciate that. That that's the I take, you know, I love the sport of pool. Uh, you know, I've covered boxing for many years. I used to write for the Ring magazine for 15 years, and I've uh, done a lot in boxing and other sports I've covered. And yeah, I'm a sports journalist. And what do you do? You know, you know, as a journalist, you tell stories. And I've always said that about pool is, and so one of the things that's been missing is the story aspect of it. You know, uh, telling those stories, reaching beyond the the hardcore pool player to get the fan who's sitting on the fence who might not isn't sure they have two hours or three hours to sit and watch a match and uh they they have to be invested for some reason and they want to know that earl you know who is this guy earl strickland who is darren appleton why should i spend time watching him i always say like you know ralph Suquet, and how about ralph winning the euro tour unbelievable Uh, what a great what a credit to the game and to sports in general ralph Suquet is now ralph is not the most exciting player from a fan no. standpoint. Ralph is a very, um, he even by his own admission, a very pedantic person. He likes to have his whole life in order. Uh, he plays that very way. He does the same shot routine every time, walks this way around the table and that way around the table, even when he's got a straight in nine ball. <laughs> and he is, again, not the most exciting player, but. I figure that there must be a lot of people out there who can relate to a character like Ralph Suquet. They are probably similar in their own lives or wish they had a little more order in their own lives. So they can relate to him. Ralph is his own character, even though some people may say, well, he's just boring and he's not exciting to watch. But I think he's actually an interesting character in his own right, just like a Raj Hundal or a Carl Boys, two guys who don't play that much love the limelight are exciting players and they 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 like to catch that gear like a jason shaw likes to catch that gear he's the exact opposite of a ralph suitcase so he's his own story in itself jason shaw so it's my job to tell those stories to try to bring in the fans because i think pool is you know what i like in pool too i've been telling people this lately professional wrestling except it's real in other words, full of characters, except it's real. <laughs> Do you think, and and I, this only comes to mind when you mention professional wrestling, do you think that that was along the lines of what Kevin Trudeau had in mind with the IPT? You know, he he wanted stories. You know, he wanted maybe not the best players in the world, but he wanted stories. He wanted the junior player that was just getting started. He wanted the, we don't need to discuss names, but the the movie star who, uh, you know, was making a comeback. And 
Right. Well, that's uh, you still got to have the talent, you know, the, the best talent, um, you know, putting in the, the Prince of Brunei uh, into like they did at the World Pool Championship in Manila. Again, you know, was not a smart move, even though uh, the crown prince was, uh, uh, you know, love nine ball. It was it, it was not that's can sometimes backfire. But in general, yeah, I think that the characters are just amazing in pool. You got these guys going all over the world for little money. It's so difficult, uh, the sport. It's just, I feel so, I, I have a lot of empathy for pool players and, and what they go through and, and just how difficult it is to earn a living. And it just brings out the, uh, the interesting personalities. So I just do my best to try to tell those stories. I'm not an X's and O's kind of person. I don't, you know, predict shots because I'm not a player. You know, I don't come from a professional background. I come from the storytelling background, which is what a sport, every sport needs that. You know, I don't think I've ever asked you before. You, you don't, certainly you've played some in the past. Oh, I mean, I mean, I play a couple times a week here in the Philippines. You can't help it. I mean, I'm an amateur player, but no, I'm not. I don't come from the professional ranks. I come from a, a sports journalist background. But you still do professional commentary at a very high level. Is that just from having watched so many matches? Well, yeah, but you'll notice when I do commentary, I don't uh, I very rarely predict shots. I mean, obviously, nine ball as uh, very there's a, it's a lot of repetition you can tell what's coming and uh, where the problem areas are of the table but I don't pretend to get in the mind of the players and say well he's going to go three rails between the seven and eight I actually don't think that that's very important to predict shots I think that bores a lot of people who aren't professionals um, but yeah it's about I I'm focused on the like the momentum and again, like when Earl scratches up 6-4, and you already know from watching enough pool that the pool gods, the mythical pool gods, <laughs> are going to have it out for him. Now, I got to tell that story. And, that, and I, nine times out of ten, the momentum changes in that circumstance. You know, I've seen it. I can't tell you how many times. Because there, there's just something about the pressure of pool that's unlike any other sport. You're out there like golf. At least you have a caddy you can talk to and lean on in certain cases, you know, but pool, you got nobody. And it's a complete embarrassment when you screw up. Alex Pagulian's missing that nine ball yeah. last year in the Masters against Jason Shaw the, the, to win the match straight, almost a straight in nine ball. I mean, that's that's a, he got ridiculed online. He's he could have done. He's won world championships and titles all over the world. No video of Alex Pagulian is viewed more times than that missed nine ball. And look how brutal the comments are. It's brutal. Yeah, and Alex doesn't deserve that. Not at all. And I often ask him about that. And, you know, I think he's was actually affected by that. Even in this year's Masters, I think he was affected by that shot. So the the drama and the pressure are just as important as you know, whether he's going to go two rails or three rails. And that's why, you know, they put me in there with guys like Alex Laley, you know, Carl Boys, 
because we're telling two different stories. He's they're telling the more of the the shots where he might go, and I'm talking about more of like the momentum, the drama, the pressure, the background, uh, you know, what was going on behind the scenes, and trying to make it all add up to a proper story where people go, wow, this is worth my time, you know, to watch. And when you mention that, it, it, this is a question that I've tossed around in my head for a time, and, and I'd like to get your opinion. Um, you work the matchroom sport events. There are no events that are produced more professionally than the matchroom events. Moscone Cup, World Cup, uh, World Pool right. Masters. I mean, it's, it's the top of the ch food chain. And... When you talk about the stories that you write, they're not the typical billiards. I mean, they're professionally done. We have aspects of this game that are very professional. They're not the uh, the the usual, you know, two fat guys in a pool room full of smoke, <laughs> you know, chomping on a cigar and trying to hustle each other. But why is it? And maybe I'm just not seeing it, but it just still seems like the world's opinion of pool is stuck in that smoky pool room. We have something, we have a product, but why do you think we can't get the general public to see that? Yeah, that is a uh, a myth. The hustler myth and storyline is so tired, uh, you know. I can tell you that in the UK, and I've been there quite a bit, uh, it you know doing pool tournaments, that it's not like that. They take Q sports very seriously. Obviously, you have snooker, which is a, a massive sport. It's being shown on the BBC, uh, which tells you you know how big it is, and you have um, English eight ball uh, and American pool, and it's taken very seriously. It's a proper sport Carl boys was written about in his uh, hometown paper in uh, Manchester I believe it is uh, just a few days ago about uh, how he did pretty well got semifinals at the World Pool Masters yeah they take Q sports seriously as sport but in America anybody involved in TV or you know producing entertainment always has this uh, sort of hustlers mentality that the sport is only about hustlers they don't know uh that it's uh, a proper sport i think one of the reasons is uh well you can sort of start at the top the wpa does not do a, a good job of getting the this message out and the wpa is the top of the food chain in in professional pool it's under the olympics they don't do a good job of of uh spending enough money on media to tell these kind of stories. It is a sport. I approach it as a sport. Yeah. I mean, if I, if you go to any sports executive at NBC or I'm sure they, they wouldn't know it's a sport. They wouldn't have any idea. They wouldn't know. I don't know. It's, a, it's going to take, I don't know if it has any chance of ever, uh, uh, getting to that point where people see it as a sport. I, I don't I don't see in America that is. And that was going to be the question. That was the question that came to mind when you were answering that is 
the impression that I have of the way the general public sees pool, just the way the American public sees it, because it sounds like, I mean, we know that in Asia, it's different in in England, it's different. Is it just America and the 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 typical sports fan in America that is stuck in the 50s? Absolutely. They uh, look at China, China. They when they a sport is under the Olympic umbrella, no matter how big or how small, they provide government funding for uh, that that sport. So the pool team in pool in China, they've got national teams, a national women's team and a national men's team that is funded by the government. So they get salaries and, um, you know, Niels Fyen, uh, he, he plays for the Dutch team. They're funded by the government. Uh, England doesn't have that, but people in general look at Q sports, as I said, as a sport. So they take it seriously as a sport. Uh, yeah, Americans don't. I think they're, they are stuck in the 50s. I, I never, when I go back to the States and tell my family, you know, if they even bother to ask, you know, what have you been up to? I said, well, yeah, I was covering some pool tournaments. They, that's where the conversation ends. <laughs> they don't they don't ask anything about it. They don't know anything about it. They don't bother to ask. They're not interested. They don't care. And I don't think they remember a lot of people. You know, it used to be a wide world of sports. Howard Cosell. Remember they used to have pool tournaments on sure. American television? Oh yeah. 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 The hustler myth is so tired. I can't stand it anymore. I can't stand it. I, I wish somebody would do a, a, a program about pool players as sportsmen. Well, in order for that to happen, I mean, I hate to, to bring out the old cliche, but there's going to have to be money in it. I mean, that's right. I mean, we've got people in the industry who are talented enough. I mean, they're more than talented enough in video production and you know, the, the media side of things, I still believe if everybody could come together and, you know, this has been my, my pipe dream for years that if everybody who is working hard to snare their share of the pie could work together, we might have a chance to go somewhere. Well, th this is one of the reasons why I believe in what Darren Appleton is doing with the World Pool Series. Uh, trying to build something up from, from the ground up. Um, obviously, you could say Barry Hearn, Matchroom Sport. Uh, they've they've already got a niche. I I, I hope that uh, Barry gets more into pool, but uh, you know he would if he sees money in it. Uh, but but I do believe in what Darren's doing. Maybe build something up from the ground, uh, slowly but surely, uh, present it as a, a proper sport. And we can get decent television. Who knows? I mean, it's, you've got to start somewhere. I mean, Barry Hearn does have another possible event coming up. I don't know if you know, but the, you, you did hear about the World Cup of Pool, right? In China. Uh, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. You are going to get huge crowds in China. It will be on CCTV. You've been to China. You know what that's like with the that's Chinese state television. They've got about 12 channels. And I mean, you're talking about tens of, of, if not hundreds of millions of people tuning in. 
I it was crazy. I've been there twice and the the fans like the first time I went they had a a parade through the town of Yushan where we were at yeah. and you know the fans on the side of the road holding up cardboard pictures of Darren Appleton and Kelly Fisher and you know th- those are two people that could walk down the street in New York City and nobody would know who they were. <laughs> yeah. Here's another question that I've wondered for a, a time and and maybe you can you can provide an answer for me. In the past, if you were an up-and-coming player, I mean, like Darren Appleton, he was, uh, and you can correct me where I'm wrong, he was an English eight-ball player and wanted to break into nine-ball, came to the States to do it. Um, Allison Fisher, snooker player, wanted to play professional nine-ball, came to the States to do it. Karen Core, Kelly Fisher... But now, do you think the States is where a player needs to go if they want to really become the best player they can be? Or are they better off in Asia or, or wherever? Well, I would say a mixture of all that because uh, certainly, I mean, the States is definitely still a hotbed of pool, you know, and you, there's all kinds of tournaments, money games, and uh, a lot of pool halls and and, uh, you know, greats of the game that you can hook up with. And uh, so certainly that is one of the places. Yeah, Darren came to the U.S., as did a lot of the English eight ball players for the IPT back in um, 2006, like that, 2005, 2006. So that's why they all sort of turned to nine ball. Would they turn to nine ball today? Mm, good, good question. Uh, not sure about that. Yeah, the women had a tour, the WPBA, but that's sort of not really happening much anymore. Hard to say whether they would come to the States, but you'd have to also include the Philippines in that. Uh, I tell a lot of the players, the Europeans, guys like uh, Clenty Catchy, I say, uh, you got to come to the Philippines and spend a few months. That's what Darren Appleton did back in uh, 2006 and seven, seven, 2007 and eight, and He basically served an apprenticeship over here playing money games against everybody and it hit i mean it, he took his game to that next level and from there he went on a 10-year run that un, un, unrivaled by anybody maybe in the history of the sport so uh china is another one uh, although china is a little bit more difficult to navigate uh but there are tournaments in china a lot of these uh, chinese eight ball tournaments are big money now so yeah i think you got to make it a mix the gb9 ball tour is uh, uh pretty active uh, you've got uh, the Euro Tour, but uh, doesn't offer a lot of money, but uh, certainly a chance to compete. If you want it, yeah, you got look look at Catchy, Clenty Catchy, what 19 years old I think now, or maybe he's still 18. I'm not sure, but um, he's uh, he goes all over, and and you know, but he doesn't have a family to raise, so he he can go all over. But you got a family, it, it's very difficult. I agree, right. but you got to give it, make a mix. I think if you want to make it. it, it's a tough, tough lifestyle. And again, this is one of the reasons I kind of admire pool players because of what they have to go through. Yeah, I mean, we—it's been uh, a story in pool for the longest time about you know Ralph and how much he travels from tournament to tournament and. I don't know. Kachi seems to be the same sort of thing now. Uh, what he won a Euro Tour stop. He he's in the States. He's in Europe. He's, I mean, 
you've got to see him as the next monster player. Oh, he is incredible. Him and filler. But, I mean, if you were going to put the two side by side, I would certainly for excitement factor, filler is is way higher than <laughs> Catchy. Catchy's a bit slow, but what a talent. I'd, li- I'd like to see Catchy on a shot clock, like the, the matchroom 30-second shot clock to see how he performs. I'm pretty sure he would do fine. He's a, He is just totally into what he's doing he is you're right he's a monster talent he is he is gonna shake up the sport in europe for sure well and i had i had one other thing i wanted to ask you about uh it's more of a a thing in your backyard there um tell me about carlo beato great guy just uh won that tournament it was a 10 ball tournament in indonesia uh obviously the world nine ball champion and well deserved there and I've always liked Carlo. You knew watching him even 10 years ago that it was just a matter of time. What you got to like about him is he's a humble guy. Um, he never did what Earl did to Darren. You know, when he lost, <laughs> he lost. He lost a lot of heartbreakers in finals, in quarterfinals, in semifinals over the years. I've seen a lot of them. He lost to Copigny in the World 10 Ball Championship in the Philippines. I think was uh, 11-9, made an amazing comeback, but never belly ached, always gave his opponent the credit that was due to his opponent. And you just knew it was a matter of time before he was going to reach the mountaintop. And here's an example. If you say, well, should players go to the U.S.? He finally got his visa just a few years ago to go to the U.S. Not an easy feat for Filipinos, to do that u.s embassy is tough down there in manila okay for uh, to, to issue those visas anyway he got his visa and you know he spent a lot of time on the road playing the money games doing the circuit playing in tournaments the derby city darren's tournaments other events turning stone and look look at where it got him it, it turned him into a tough hard-nosed resilient player and it finally paid off and now as you often see in pool, you know, winning begets winning. And he just expects to win when he's in those tough situations. Look what he did in the uh, World Games. Then he took the World Nine Ball. Uh, he won a Southeast Asian Games a gold medal, which is just Southeast Asian nations. And then he wins this tournament in Indonesia. You got to figure he's going to be a threat to win in any tournament he enters from here on in. Great player. And he just won, by the way, the Philippine Sports Writers uh, Sports Writers uh, Athlete of the Year Award. How about that? Yeah. Now, winning the World Nine Ball Championship, now he's being discussed in the same conversation with Efren and Boosty and Alex and uh, Alcano. I mean, is is Beato that level of talented? Well. I wouldn't say that yet. I would actually put Dennis or Coolio in the level of an Efren and, and Bustamante. Now, for Coolio can you know start joining. He was doing a lot of the one-pocket money tournaments. You know, Coolio's been chasing that money in the money games lately. But, boy, in the first round of that World Pool Masters, that match against Melly, this guy has got position play that is – like and cue ball control, which is from another planet. I think most players are pretty envious of what he can do. 
he is of an effort level. There's no doubt about it. Does he have the personality? Uh, no, Efren's got a unique personality. Uh, Bustamante benefited from being a friend of Efren's. Busti's got a great personality that, but Efren had that unique personality that Filipinos just adore. You know, he's just this aw shucks, humble guy, you know, and he's just become a folk hero. I mean, literally, he's like Paul Bunyan. You know, I mean, a real folk hero. Uh, so, but Orculio, as far as talent-wise, I think Orculio's of that level. I can't say that Beato is yet. But, you know, Mike, these guys play in, in, a, in, a, in a whole other universe, Filipino players. They, they, they play 18 hours a day. They're, they're seven days a week in the pool hall in conditions that would make most people cry. You know, humid, uh, noisy. People sharking them all day, walking back and forth in front of their vision. Uh, slow tables, uh, raggedy rails, uh, you, you know, and they don't care. They just pass it off like it's nothing. Filipinos are amazing. Uh, so when I see guys like Beato and Orculio, you know, come through and win big tournaments, I, I just it gives me great hope. I hope more and more uh, start to come through. Unfortunately, and this may be a story for another day, the game over here is generally ignored by sponsors nowadays, and it's completely dead as far as tournaments go. Wow. So, yeah, it's it's sad. Uh, it's, you know, it was political infighting because due to the success of the sport 10 years ago when you guys used to come over and cover it, all the yeah. world championships. And, and it's been hard to get the sponsors back in the game. So, but anyway, the players, they're still there. They're still fighting it out for peanuts uh, every day in the pool halls and, and, and it's a, they got the great best talent in the world. You could say. And like you say, it's been probably 10 years or so since Jerry and I were over there. Do you still have a pool hall on every corner? Well, not quite as many, but yeah, in the provinces, uh, in the, uh, barrios and the poor neighborhoods. Yes. You've got, you, you do see all the pool tables. you Raggedy pool tables with guys hanging out. There's still plenty of people without jobs who got nothing to do. So their job is to either rack the balls, clean the table, uh, play some pool, you know, money games, anything they can do to get some money. Uh, yes, there are thousands of pool players up and down this archipelago in every nook and cranny. Just there's no outlet for them. It's very difficult for them. Very difficult. To find opportunities. So besides, and, and I say this because I know you're doing the uh, World Pool Masters write-up for us for the buzz. Uh, besides that, what's on your agenda next? Uh, well, I will be in New York at the World Pool Series, the first event. And that they're going to have a, like, that's going to be a nine ball event. So I'll be there uh, helping Darren out with the writing and you know the commentary and presenting and all the stuff that I do and and then um, after that hopefully we'll uh, uh, I, I would expect to be in China for that world cup of pool which is going to be huge I think right really big and then um, yeah wherever else the next event is because Darren I believe there'll be one in June one in September and then the grand finale in October so right now they're scheduled in New York at Steinway, but he's hoping to get a sponsor to maybe have one at like say a casino or somewhere. 
uh, later on in the year. That would be great. Still looking at the East Coast? Uh, yeah, but, you know, obviously he'll, he'd take wherever the money comes from. You know, somebody says, okay, you can come down to Alabama or something, <laughs> you know, to one of the Indian casinos. We'll be there. Well, I think we're we're lucky to have you at as many events as we do, um, providing the the coverage that you do. Um, oh well, thanks, Mike. Oh, one more thing: there yeah. is a chance that you, have you heard about the Efren Reyes Cup? Yes, uh, Asia versus Europe. Yes, uh, there is a chance, uh, maybe in October, that it will come to fruition in the Philippines. And certainly I'm not asking you this on the record, but <laughs> with as poorly as Team USA has done in the Moscone Cup, do you see the the danger of the Reyes Cup taking over for the Moscone Cup if Team USA can't start doing something? Well, I mean, it's got it's hard to imagine him. You know, Barry Hearn, he's a he's a great businessman. Uh, he's still draws incredible numbers that's still the biggest tournament in the world you, you don't see him closing that down but you do hear his frustration when he says you know uh you know eight times in a row europe has won it's not even been close uh, something's got to change something has to change you cannot have an event where one side wins 15 years in a row i mean is it going to be like that i mean something has to be done here the problem is Europe has so much talent. You could take the D squad and they would be competitive. Yeah. You know, I don't know what he's got to do. He's, I think he's in a bit of a bind as far as the event goes because the game is just not taken as seriously in America as it is in Europe. And again, this goes back to what we talked about before. In Europe, they take it as a sport. These guys practice as a sport. In America... It's a living. It's a money game. It's a bar box. It's not the nine-foot table. It's not a sport. Some players, like Shane, treat it as a sport, but it's not really taken in the same manner. So what do you do? I mean, he's he wants to create a new event to try to build up something new in case uh, – I'm talking about Barry Hearn – in case the, the uh, Moscone Cup continues to be lopsided in favor of Europe. But – I guess it'll always be exciting. You know, the way they hype it up, USA versus uh, Europe is always exciting uh, for the fans. But at some point, if Europe keeps winning, yeah, he's got to be able to turn to another event. That's where the Reyes Cup comes in. That's going to be sensational, Europe versus Asia. Definitely. Um, I mean, Asia seems, you know, at one time it seemed like the Philippines was where, you know, the 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 capital of the game had had become but boy asia is is strong right now oh yeah you'll have let's say because if it's in the philippines you probably get two filipinos a taiwanese a chinese and a japanese player that would be sensational that would just be uh they would they would be considered even bet with europe oh yeah at least yeah so Let's hope it comes to pass so we can get a tournament finally in the Philippines and uh, and and another matchroom event. And if he's successful with that, maybe Barry Hearn will just take over pool. Who knows? <laughs> we could only hope. We could only hope. 
Well, Ted, I know it's not late where you're at, but it's late where I'm at. So I'm going to let you get back to it, and I appreciate your time. We will uh, look forward to talking to you again uh, probably after Shanghai or maybe after uh, World Pool Series. I look forward to it. I'd like to thank you, Mike, for having me on again. And uh, it's always great working with you. You're all a credit to the game. And, you know, uh, we're and and all your fans out there in pool land (laughs) for listening wherever you are driving down the road or uh, at home or in the pool hall, you know, keep supporting the sport. And I want to reiterate, it is a sport. Uh, Those are great words to end it on. Thanks a lot, Ted. Mike, thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That was my conversation with Ted Lerner for this week. We're working on an interview next week with the man behind Seven Ball Run. It's a new billiards venture getting started in Las Vegas. Um, I know a little bit about it, but not much. So I'm really looking forward to having him explain the whole concept for everybody. That'll be next week, though. That's the show for this week. Until next week, we're thinking about you, Dave.